The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you be our guest. Service times are 9 and 11 a.m. We hope you'd consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting a donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's Word. If you are new, I do not always dress this way, but, but today I'm just kind of feeling the mood. Uh, we've kind of got a retail sort of theme going on for this morning, so I thought I'd put on my, my one suit, which is nice to wear it and nobody's dead. Uh, this is, it's the only time I get to wear this suit. It's when somebody's dead. So I'm glad, glad nobody's dead. Um, anyway, we're glad that you're here. We are in a series called The Code. And the whole point of this series is we want to we want to rewire our thinking. The whole goal is to rewire our hearts towards Christ and and start to run the way that we live through this different filter, this different code and create a new code to live by. And as Christians, as believers, our code is driven by scripture. So we want to go to God's word and have him identify ways for us to live our lives so that we can love God and love each other better. And so it's just been a really fun journey so far. Uh, we got a bunch of weeks left leading up till Easter. I'm so excited. Easter plans are coming together. It's going to be an awesome weekend. We are planning one of the biggest outreaches that we've done yet to the community. And I am just fired up about that. So stoked for that. But glad that you're here. So Who's a shopper in the room? Come on. Shoppers. We got some shoppers in the room. Like on a Saturday, if you're like, I don't know, I don't know what I want to do. You think I'm going to go shopping. I'm going to go spend some money. Um, when I moved to Alaska, we moved up about six years ago. And when I got here, everybody told us you need to go shopping. You need to spend some money on some winter clothing because there's days like this where you realize that your Walmart boots and your Walmart coat don't cut it. Right. And so in Alaska, you got to get some good gear. And so where do you go to get the best gear in Alaska? REI. So you go to REI and you take out a second mortgage on your home and you just, you just spend the money and it hurts, but you do it because you want to be warm and you want your kids to be warm in the winter. So go to REI. We get the boots. We get the coats. We get stuff for the summer because we're going to enjoy Alaska. You know, we got to get to get the hiking boots and all the hiking gear. And so we were just outfitted. And so a few years have gone by. We use our gear hard like we tear stuff up my boots get destroyed I, I do a lot of hunting and a lot of hiking and so we're really hard on our stuff and a while back there i was i was by a fire with a friend of mine we've been hiking all day long and at the end of the day we'd hike through a bunch of streams and things and i got my boots out there and and they're upside down trying to dry them out and he's like hey what's wrong with your boots i said well they're leaking water you know i mean i've i've worked them hard it's been like five years of hiking hard on these on these boots and he said well Where'd you get them? And I said, REI. And he goes, oh, take them back, buddy. Take them back. And I'm like, why? I, I mean, I know I, I got them from REI, but why would, I, why would I be able to do that? He goes, no, you don't understand. They have a 100% money back guarantee. I mean, they will take anything back. He said, he's like, if I threw my pants in the fire right now, I could take them back. And they would take them because there's a 100% money back guarantee. And so we get done hiking Next day, I go to REI, I got my nasty, muddy boots. I put them up on the counter at REI, and the guy looks at my boots, and he looks at me, and he goes, were you dissatisfied with our product? <laughs> and I go, well, they have 
holes in them. And he goes, were you dissatisfied with the performance of the product? And I was like, well, they leak water on my feet. He's like, but were you, were you dissatisfied with the product? And I said, yes. And he goes, okay, we'll give you new boots. And so he rings it up. He gives me new boots. I walk out of the place and I feel like a dirt bag, you know, because I, I know I've just worked the system. You know, the goal wasn't to be able to give me new boots for the rest of my life. And what I didn't realize is that this, this goes a long ways. I mean, they will take anything back. In fact, I read one article that said people would basically eat a cliff bar, bring in the wrapper and say they weren't satisfied with the product and they were obligated to give them a new cliff bar. And so there you go. If you want cliff bars the rest of your life, all you have to do is buy one from REI and you will be set forever. In fact, I started talking to some friends and one friend had a bunch of kids and they were like, yeah, we buy, we bought our kids all boots from there like 10 years ago. And every year we bring them back because they don't fit right. I'm like, oh, it's brutal. Seriously. And some of you guys are like, no, that's just a, that's just a wise consumer. I don't know what you're talking about, Brian. We do that all the time. So Here's here's the deal. I mean, the the company actually ended up losing a lot of profits, almost going out of business. They ended up changing their policy. So now when you go in, it's no longer a lifetime warranty. It's a one year limited money back guarantee. And so they had to change the way they were doing business because uh, because it was hurting this idea that the customer's always right, that they can have whatever they, they want, were, was hurting their, uh, their their revenue at the end of the year. So this week, our code is this. We are not consumers. We are contributors. Our mission is to participate in God's work personally, locally, and globally. And so we're going to be hanging out in Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to talk about how Paul viewed his life. And I love the crinkling of all of the popcorn this morning. I hope you're enjoying that. So Philippians chapter 3, you can follow along on the screen, or if you want to open a Bible and follow along that way, uh, or you can download like the YouVersion Bible app, and that's a great resource as well. Philippians chapter 3. This is Paul speaking. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. So Paul is recentering his priorities and he's re-identifying what it means to follow Christ and helping put all of his good deeds in the right light. And so here's the story of ACF Church. Um, this church has actually existed for a really long time. Back in the 80s, it was, it was founded. And I actually showed up about six years ago to a group of, I think, 30 to 40 people who had moved into this facility. And it was, it was the first month in this facility. I showed up, and we were just on mission together. And the church slowly started growing, and new people started showing up. We started seeing people get discipled, people getting saved. We started doing outreach to our city and just loving our community well. And each year since then, the church has grown exponentially. I mean, this church has grown like crazy. We've seen God do amazing things, lives be transformed. We've sent out hundreds of people from this church who were here before you came in your seat 
um, who have gone and since moved on to other places as missionaries from this community into the world, wherever they moved to, whether it's because they got PCS or, you know, because they had to move for a job, whatever it was, we've sent them off as missionaries. Amazing things have happened in this place through God's work here. And so we've seen it slowly grow up until 2014. We'd seen our income grow. We had seen numbers grow, involvement in ministries grow. And then in 2014, our involvement in ministries kind of plateaued out. And where we find ourselves today is at a really interesting point as a church. I think we're at a really important point where our church is going to decide what's the next move. Are we going to be progressing or regressing as a community? Because the church, it's never just sitting still. Like we're never just hanging out, maintaining. We are always either progressing or regressing. And we as a church want to, want to be progressing in the kingdom. We want to be reaching people in new ways. We want to be loving people in new ways. We want to see marriages restored and relationships built. And so that's our goal here. And what you do today will set the tone of what this church is in the next six months in the next year, in the next two years, in five years, ten years, maybe beyond when I'm here or when you're here, what you do in this church, in this community today, will set the spiritual tone for this church and even for our city in years to come. But I don't know if we think that way. Like, I don't know if I look at what I do and I see it as being that important. But everything that you do matters. And the statistic is this. The church in America, 80% of churches are either plateaued or declining. Is that a problem? Does that bother you? 80% of the churches in America are plateaued or declining. Now, there's a lot of things that we could blame that on. But at its core, there is an issue in the American church. And we're seeing this next generation of, of kids and teenagers being the least church generation that we've ever seen. So there is a problem. And I think a lot of it comes down to what we're talking about today. Are you a consumer or are you a contributor? And so we want to we want to we want to dig through this and wrestle through this together. And I, I just hope that we can all be convicted uh, by God's word together. So can we pray together and we'll we'll move forward. Jesus, we invite you here to this space. God, we we need you to speak to us. We don't want to waste this time. We don't want to just come in these doors and leave the same way we came in. God, would you light a fire in our souls? God, just that, that we would be overwhelmed with gratitude for Jesus and for the cross and for the price that was paid for us. God, would you wash over us today with forgiveness? God, we have failed this week in so many ways. And yet, God, your grace continues to be sufficient for us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Philippians 3 is where we're hanging out. As I was wrestling with this this week and preparing my suit, um, I was thinking there's... There's probably three people in the room today, three kinds of people. Uh, the first kind of person is the non-believer or the non-Christian. And so if you're here today and maybe you're drugged here by your friend uh, because they're like, hey, I'll take you to a movie if you come to me, come to church with me. And you're like, OK, I'll do it. Uh, maybe you're the non-believer in the room or maybe your husband uh, drug you here. or Your wife drug you here. Or maybe you just saw that, you know, there was a warm place and the doors were open and you came inside because it's warm inside. I don't know why you're here. Um, but we're glad that you're here. If you're in that camp, you need to know that we are so glad that you're here. And this is a safe place to wrestle through your doubts and your, your faith and your experience. I mean, this is, this is the place to do that. So we're so glad that you're here. In fact, um, you don't owe us anything. I mean, you need to know that if you see the offering plate come by you, just know that this one's on us. 
You know, don't feel like, okay, got to pay for my church today. I mean, this is on us as the church. And so we're glad that you're here. If you're a non-believer, there are also disciples in the room. There are those of you who are hard and fast after Jesus. I mean, you are on mission. You're the kind of person that maybe as a family, you guys are praying together. You're growing together. You're opening God's word and you're reading it and you're being transformed by God's word. You know, maybe you're the kind of person that on Saturday and you're just thinking, who can I text? Who can I invite to church on Sunday? Because it's just it's coming out of your your soul. It's coming out of your your personality that you're excited about what's happening in the local church. You know, maybe maybe you're just talking to people through the week about what God has done in your life because he's done so much. You can't help but share it with other people. You know, maybe you're growing, you're you're encouraging other people, you're serving in ministry here at the church. On a, on a weekly basis, on a, you know, a couple times a month, you're, you're contributing somehow. And you're a disciple of Jesus. You're just hard after him. And then the third t- type of person in the room are the consumers. And I'm, I want to tell you, it is so easy to slip into this. It's so easy for me to slip into this. These are the consumers. These are people who maybe had a season of contribution. Maybe there was a point where you're like, remember, I was all fired up about Jesus early on. And I gave a lot and I served a lot and I was involved and I contributed so much. But then maybe it's just lost its, its, its attraction. Maybe you've stopped contributing. And maybe you're the kind of person that comes here and says, what can the church do for me? How can the church help me? How can the church serve me? Maybe you've stepped out of a ministry so you could make space for new leadership and you never stepped back into any other kind of Ministry, And so you're just kind of comfortable. You're hanging out here. Maybe you study the Bible to get information, but you're no longer transformed by God's word. It doesn't challenge you anymore. It doesn't change you anymore. Maybe you you give until it hurts. Like maybe if your neighbor needs something like a shovel, you'll give him a shovel as long as you have a second shovel. You know, as long as it's not going to take away from what I have, as long as it's not going to hurt me. You're kind of like the person that goes to the gym, sets all the weight on the bar gets underneath the bar, does one rep and goes, awesome, I'm done for the day, time to hit the shower, did my workout, I'm good for the day, I did what I was supposed to do. This is the consumer in the church. And and the story that you may have heard is a story about salvation that has more to do with decision than with discipleship. See, here's the deal. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you everything. Salvation is absolutely free. If you find yourself in that first camp, you say, Brian, I'm not a believer, but I get the sense that Jesus is real and he's alive. And as I see the church, I see people who are giving of themselves to the community, to each other, loving each other well. And I think this is the real deal. I want you to know salvation is free. You couldn't have earned it if you wanted to. Like Paul talks about, we're going to talk about it in a minute. He's done so much. But in the end, you couldn't have done anything to earn your salvation. Salvation is free, but Jesus calls us to come and die. He calls us to come and to give of ourselves. And discipleship will cost us everything. And so I want to confront sort of the elephant in the room in this conversation. Um, And it's this. So the pastor is up front talking about contributing, giving, serving, being part of this thing. It seems sort of like a conflict of interest, you know, like does your cynicism well up and you're like, hey, of course you want this, Brian. You work here, you know, you're on staff at the church. Of course you want me to contribute, to give, to serve, to do all this stuff. 
I just, I hope that you can trust my heart here. I hope that you can kind of look past the obvious a little bit that, of course, I'm invested in this church and understand God put it on my heart before I ever stepped into this role in leading the church. He, he convicted me something of, of something so clearly. And he said, Brian, this is not your church. This is my church. And you need to know this. This is how I see this is I want something for you and not from you. I want to see you contributing to the work of God in this city, not so that I can feel better about myself or better about ACF church itself, but because I believe the richest of life is experienced in giving and serving others. And and the, the most, the most depressing times in my life are when I'm obsessed with myself. In the end, there's no joy. There's no peace for those who obsess about their own needs. And you will experience peace and joy and fulfillment in ways that you never knew you would in just loving other people. So I hope that you can take my heart on that as we talk about this. But there are these people that I read about this week. Um, they were called one-way missionaries. And these missionaries, their, their way of doing ministry was just crazy. They felt convicted to go to these foreign lands where they knew they would be persecuted for being a Christian. They felt the need to go share the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so this for them is what that meant would be to go to these foreign lands where they would be persecuted and most likely killed for their faith. And so as they would prepare, this was about a century ago, as they would prepare, they would pack all of their stuff up and they wouldn't pack it into luggage, but they would pack it into a coffin and they would pack all of their gear up into the coffin. They would load the coffin onto the ship. They would get onto the ship. They would wave goodbye to everybody that they knew, everybody that they loved, all of their safety and security, their home, their finance, everything back home. And they would leave knowing that they probably would never come back, knowing that they would probably die for their faith in Jesus. And in the end, if they died, they could maybe put their body back in the coffin, ship it back home so their families could mourn their loss. That's faith, huh? Man, is that faith. I read that. I just... It's just amazing. The faith that it takes, that is different than the consumer mentality, is it not? That is, that is something completely different. Here's some facts for you. Christians are the most persecuted religious group worldwide. An average of at least 180 Christians around the world are killed each month for their faith. Christian, Christians in more than 60 countries face persecution from their governments or surrounding neighbors simply because of their belief in Christ. 76% of the world's population lives in countries with a high or very high level of restrictions on religion. You feel grateful this morning? Man, I feel grateful this morning. But the, so the church, the thing is, we have figured out what it takes to sell things. Our culture has figured out what it takes to sell things. I mean, there are whole industries dedicated to just helping sell you things. You know, there's studies done. The, the reason that the logos look the way they do, the reason that the floor is painted the way it is, or, you know, they put milk in the back of the grocery store. Why do they do that? So you buy all the other junk on the way to get the milk. It's the thing that you need the most often. And so they're like, hey, let's get them to buy stuff on the way to the milk. I mean, it's all scientifically proven to help you spend more money. Like you don't think that the barista at Starbucks remembers your name and your drink because you're that cute, do you? I mean, you don't honestly believe they're trying to sell drinks. It's how they're trained. I mean, you don't think that Costco is giving you samples to stamp out world hunger, do you? They're trying to sell a product. And so they're giving you samples and you're like, that's delicious. You know, give me five or six of these things. And you go buy the product. It's it's a product to sell. And so the church, we've followed suit to some extent. And this is good and this is bad. 
It's good because here's the deal. We in our community, like we are here to reach Alaska. We are here to meet, reach Americans. And we will do anything short of sin to reach our city. We want to reach the farthest of the far, the people that want nothing to do with church, nothing to do with God. And that means doing certain things that help communicate the message of Jesus within our culture. And so we are absolutely okay with that. But there's even been like a term that's put on that for churches today. It's called the seeker church. You heard that term before? It's the seeker church. And so this term seeker, it's almost become a swear word in the church because it refers typically to a church that's shallow and that, you know, isn't, isn't deep, is just kind of doing things to be, to be cool. But the thing is, I look at Jesus and I go, man, Jesus had the first seeker ministry. I mean, he preached to these huge crowds of people. He would, he would give food to the hungry and they would, guess what? They'd follow him. Can you imagine? You need food. There's a dude with food. What are you going to do? Follow the guy with food. So Jesus basically bribes all of these people. Like I got food because honestly, people don't listen real well on an empty stomach. And so he says, if what's your first need, you need food. So I'm going to give you food. So he gives them food. Jesus healed the paralytic and the, and the leprous, you know. I mean, he would do these very showy things. He could have done that in private. Instead, he did it in public. And people came in droves. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people came. He turned water into wine, which is my favorite miracle. It's everybody's favorite miracle. It's like a, it's like a bar trick, you know. Like, look, wine. I mean, that's, that's what Jesus does. And he gives it to this crowd of people that probably already were, were drinking too much wine. And he gives them the best wine at the end of this celebration. This is the Jesus that we follow. So Jesus, he reaches the far of the far. But as we know, as you read the story of Jesus near the end of his life, very few stuck with him. The crowd dwindled, didn't it? As Jesus started talking about sacrifice, you know, giving of themselves slowly, as the food dried up, the crowd went away. And there was a line that was drawn between the consumers and the contributors. Which one are you? Which one are you today? You see, that the seeker-focused church is about the seeker. Here's our vision. We are a Jesus-focused church. And we love people who are seeking. We are a church dedicated to doing mission for Jesus, the way that Jesus would do mission work here in Alaska today. And we will do whatever it takes to reach people. But in the end, it's about Jesus and loving him. But here's the challenge. The church today has developed a taste for consumerism, a taste for comfort. Like we like being comfortable, don't we? I I do. I like to be comfortable. And I know this by the language we use. Like if you are here today, maybe it's your first Sunday, you're new to Alaska, you're just checking out churches. The process of finding a church is called church shopping. Yay, church shopping. You know, I mean, it's it's in our language, you know, or let's say you came here a couple weeks and you're like, man, Brian, your sermons just there's not enough meat for me. It's not deep enough. You know, you would maybe leave this church and go to another church because you weren't getting Fed. That's right. Getting fed, which I have a three year old and he can feed himself. So how old are you in the faith? You know, I mean, it's like I don't just I'm just asking. I'm not getting fed, Brian. And so so we, we have it in our in our language. If you don't like the music today, you might say I didn't get anything out of the worship. So, I mean, it's, it's in our language. It's how we talk. It, it just smacks of consumerism and it just it finds its way into our lives. It's a challenge. Here's what I think. I think too many Christians are starving at the banquet table. 
I think too many Christians are starving at the banquet table. I've got a good friend of mine, and he is, he is a, a learned guy. I mean, he has gone to school. He is a theologian. He has studied God's word. Um, the man just knows scripture frontwards and backwards. And he just comes to church ready to grow, ready to learn. He seems to learn from the silliest things in life. He's always like, man, there was this one interaction today that I had, and it's just been changing my life all week. Or there's this one thing that God said to me as I was reading scripture. I read this one little piece of scripture and he blew my world apart. I I feel like what's happening in the church is there is we have way more information than we have obedience. You know, I know way more that I should be doing than what I actually do. Does anybody else connect with that? Like, I don't need more information. I've got I know what's right. It's just being able to actually do it. It's truly loving Jesus the way I'm called to. I feel like we're at a banquet table. There's so many opportunities laid before us. Here you are, a space for community, a space where the band's going to get up and they're going to lead you in worship. An opportunity to come freely before God where you don't have to face persecution. You can lift your hands, you can kneel, you can sing your guts out as a believer in Jesus freely today. Do you take the opportunities set before you? You know? I mean, I tell my children, you eat what's given to you. You know what I mean? It's like, do you eat what's on the table at least? Do you start off with, man, I'm going to eat this first. It's it's right before you. Let's look at Paul's philosophy on life. Paul in Philippians 3, verse 4. So he's speaking from a jail cell. So we already know that Paul gets sacrifice in ways that I know I never have had to. Um, He is in a jail cell. He's been put in jail because of his faith, because of him sharing the gospel. He's speaking to this church in Philippi. And as you read the book of Philippians, if you want to just go home today, it's a quick read. Read the book of Philippians and you just sense love for the church. Paul just has love and compassion in his heart for this church. Consequently, they they are actually one of the biggest supporters of Paul. Financially, they support Paul. Most of his ministry comes from the church in Philippi. And so he's writing to this church. And it's, it's different than the other epistles because he's not just confronting a problem. He's not like, hey, get this together. You guys are going off course over here. He's really just saying, listen, I love you guys. God is doing amazing things in your city. He's doing amazing things in you. But watch out. Watch out. Because any moment now, you could give way to consumerism. You could give way to thinking this is about you. And so as I was reading this, I'm like, I connect with that. I feel like ACF Church, we should connect with that. Because God has done amazing things in our city. He's done amazing things through the work here. Maybe you've been a part of it since the beginning, or maybe you just showed up here this week. But God, I believe, wants to do amazing things uh, through our church. And I just believe he's saying, watch out. Watch out, lest you become consumers rather than contributors. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Which is code for, if you think that you're awesome, I am more awesome than you. Like, if you think you've done a lot of awesome things for Jesus and a lot of great things for the faith, I don't care what it is, but I've done more than you. That's what Paul's saying here. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's born into the right family. He looks good. He knows the right people. He said, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, blameless. The man knew the law. He was righteous. He lived right. He acted right. He had everything together. He was like a religious rock star of his day. 
but he's speaking to those who feel entitled. Do you connect with this? You're like, I feel like I'm a little bit of a religious rock star. I feel like I've kind of nailed this. I've done a lot of really good stuff, Brian. But this entitlement can, can sneak into our souls and all of a sudden we feel like we've done something to earn something. What actually happens is the more that you give to something, the more you expect from it. Isn't that right? Like the more that you give, the more you contribute, the more you serve, the more tendency you can have to think that you have uh, some reason to, to expect something from it, to control it, to, to manipulate it. And he's saying, watch out. And I believe the most beautiful moments in life aren't those that are about what we've done, but those that are about what Christ has done. Whoa, that's cool. Should I stand over here? That's nice. So <laughs> this is cool. We need music. I just want to, I want to work music into every sermon. I just love music. If you weren't here last week, we had a party up in here. So I don't know if you guys saw this thing. Let's put that next picture up here. This, this big tip thing went viral. Did you guys see this on the news a little while ago? So it just went crazy. So this couple, they went to a restaurant and the waitress was late, you know, serving them. Their drinks were never full. Their food was cold. The service was absolutely horrendous. And they get to the end of their meal and this is what they do. They write a $100 tip. It says, uh, we've been, we've both been in your shoes, paying it forward. Happy face. So their meal went from 66.65 to 166.65 for the worst service they'd experienced ever. And it went crazy. Like, why did this go so crazy? Why was this on the news? Like, I mean, Fox News was trying to find this couple. They were, it just went viral. Everybody wanted to know who are these people? Why do you think that was? What do you think it was about that? I, I think, I don't think it was that they tipped a hundred bucks. I mean, people do that sometimes. It's very generous. It's good to tip a hundred bucks. It's the fact that their service was horrible and they tipped a hundred bucks. That doesn't make sense to us. We don't get that. We're like, no, you tip based on what you get. You know, good service, big tip, bad service, no tip. In fact, call the manager and tell them your meal should be free because the service was so horrible. Instead, they give a hundred dollar tip and the world goes wild, goes crazy. Why do you think that was? I feel like, I feel like this looks like Jesus. I feel like there's something in our souls that just comes alive. This idea that somebody who didn't even deserve it got this huge blessing. And see, in these moments, when we do things like this, when we see things like this, doesn't your heart kind of come alive? Like, don't you start thinking, man, these are the moments when I can show people Jesus, when I can show myself that this world isn't about me, that people aren't here to just serve me. I mean, there's something so incredible about this. We're just attracted to it. You don't have to love Jesus to be attracted to that. There's just something in the soul of a human being that knows to bless somebody, especially when they didn't deserve it, is beautiful. Kind of sounds like the gospel, doesn't it? Kind of sounds like us as Christians. The blessing of Christ when we cursed him, when we didn't deserve it, he came came for us. Verse seven says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So Paul calls his accomplishments rubbish. He says it's just Worthless, And in fact, the, the translation of this term is more accurately translated as like a swear word. I mean, Paul 
this is an expletive. Paul's got a potty mouth sometimes if you read the scripture. I mean, this is an expletive. Paul's like, no, you don't get it. You're, you, all that you've done, all of your accomplishments are crap, but worse than crap. It's, it's, the, other, it's the other word, but I'm not going to say it because you'd be distracted for the whole sermon. But he's saying, listen, your, your accomplishments are worthless in the end compared to the surpassing greatness of Christ and of the gospel. What you have done is worthless. And so what he's not saying is don't do those things. Don't serve people, love people, serve the church. He's saying do those things, but do them knowing that they're only being done because of your gratitude for the cross. He says his accomplishments are worthless as are ours. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. When you're busy glorifying Jesus, you don't have time to glorify yourself. When you're busy glorifying Jesus, you don't have time to make it about you. When you realize how much you've been saved from, when you realize how what you do just really doesn't carry as much weight as we think it does. It doesn't impress God. I mean, we're, we're holding this little, this, little, this little gift before God. And we're like, God, look what I've done. And Jesus is standing there, arms open wide, covered in our sin. I mean, can you see the, can you see the, the contrast there? You know, so we glorify Jesus and it distracts us from ourselves. It distracts us from making this about us. So how do we as a church show that we're not about consumers? There's a few things just even as as an organization, as a church that we do to, to communicate to you that we're not about being a church of consumers, but about contributors. One of the things that we do very simple is we don't do church membership. We do church partnership. And so if you go out in the lobby at the engage table, you'll see these little cards that say ACF partnership cards. If you grew up in the church, you know, there's membership. And as we thought about that, we thought, you know, Costco has members, members get benefits, partners go down with the ship, you know, like if you're a partner with us in a business and the business goes down, you're going down with it. And so we believe that we don't need members. It's not about giving you benefits. It's about communicating to us through filling out a card like, listen, Brian, I want you to know that I'm here. I want you to know that like I am bought in to the mission of Christ in Eagle River through ACF Church. And I'm here for you if you need something, if you need people to contribute in some way or another way, like contact me first. I'm here to help. And so that's what partnership is. It's, it's knowing you guys are saying, listen, I'm, I'm here. I'm committed. And sometimes there's something psychological about just filling it out and signing your name on something to say, listen, no, I really do want to be committed to this. And so I encourage you to do that. So we do partnership. We do ACF groups, which we're going to talk about today. You guys saw a bunch of stuff in the lobby. We're doing a relaunch of our ACF groups because we feel like it's so important that you be in community. This thing on Sunday morning, you can leave here and not know anybody, right? Many of you come here and you're like, this is, this is just too big for me. I don't know anybody. ACF groups are where the big church becomes a small church. It's where you get in somebody's home and you, you grow together, you pray together, you share life with each other. So we'll talk more about that in a minute. Uh, we don't do different kinds of services. A lot of churches choose to do that. We haven't done the like contemporary traditional service. We don't do services with different kinds of teaching or preaching. We just do one service. We are unapologetic about the mission that God has set before us as a community. And we want you to be a part of it. But we're not going to we're not going to create a big menu of church services, you know, to to just make everybody's personal preferences happy. And so we don't do that. We just do one service, one kind of service. And, and we're glad that you're a part of it. We provide leadership opportunities for volunteers. 
You can lead ministries here. It's not all staff driven. We as staff provide oversight, but we get volunteers involved. So it's not just about providing a service. It's about empowering you to do your ministry. And that's, again, it's not my job to do your ministry. It's my job to empower you to go do ministry in the city. And that's what we do as a, as a staff. Um, we don't have a suggestion box. <laughs> and contrary to popular belief, the box in the back is a tithing box. It's not a suggestion box. So just so you know, in case you were confused by that, it's not a suggestion box. We don't. Costco does a suggestion box because Costco's vision and their mission is to create more consumers. Our mission is to create more disciples. And so here's the thing. We do get feedback and we do get suggestions and we, we take those things. And I'm, a, I'm glad for those things, but we take them in conversation. We take them through talking with one another. Because I believe to make good suggestions, you need to ask good questions. And that rhymed, which is awesome. It makes it more powerful. It rhymed. You have to ask, you have to ask good questions to make good suggestions. Um, many of you guys heard Amanda, my wife, she had a, had a lung collapse. And we went three days and she had this pain. She didn't know what it was. And my wife's always kind of creaking and moaning about something, it seems like. That sounds horrible. No, she, that's not what I meant. Oh, it sounds really bad. So my wife's a runner. She's a runner and she's hurt her body from running all these years. And so she's always sore somewhere from running. And she's had like knee replacements and stuff. Uh, we're gonna have to edit that out. So anyway, so we're laying in bed like Saturday night and she's like, ah, oh, ah. Oh, and I'm like, could you keep it down a little bit? I don't know what's going on. Well, Sunday we find out her lung has collapsed and I'm like, I'm such a jerk. I can't believe I told her to keep it down when her lung was collapsed. That's horrible. Uh, So sometimes it takes information, you know, sometimes it takes understanding what's going on so that you can give an accurate suggestion. You know what I mean? You have to understand like why things are being done what the purpose is. And so we take things in conversation. You can set up an appointment with any of the the staff members or the pastors at any point, and we'd love to talk with you about things um, and and help you understand why we do what we do, uh, because we do a lot of different things, um, and we do it with a purpose in mind. So we have local outreaches. We do an oil change for single uh, parents every year. We've done a couple of them last year. Uh, We do Impact Eagle River, where we go out and serve our community. We do breakfast. We serve breakfast to all of the local elementary school teachers in Eagle River, Chugiak, and on base once a month. These women get together and they're excited. And they make, you know, different little dishes and they set up this beautiful table with a tablecloth and just a little sign that says, thanks for serving our kids. This is how we reach out. These are just simple things that we as a church do to communicate that we are not about consuming. We are about contributing and we believe the local church is the hope of the world because Christ is working through the local church. Amen. So man, we, we want to be reaching out. And so maybe at this point you're asking the classic consumer question, Brian, can I still get into heaven without being a disciple? Like, can I still power slide into heaven flames on my heels, you know, just barely making it. Like, have you ever been late to get on a plane and the lady's like shutting the door and you just squeeze by the door just in time to get on there? That's how I want to get into heaven. You know, uh, it's just not the right question. It is not the right question. It's, it's not the question who's, of someone who's been saved from so much. You know, that's not the right question. In the end, Christ has done so much for you. And when somebody gives their life 
for you. You don't say, how little can I do to get to still get saved? You, you say, listen, I am so grateful for the grace of Jesus that I would give my life for him. I would do anything for him. And that that's discipleship. And that's what we want to do as a church. So we are not consumers. We are contributors. We're going to walk through eight things really quick. Eight ways that you can be a contributor uh, here at the church. We're going to hang out in Romans 12. He talks about the gifts. And, and see, I believe each one of you has been specifically gifted to be doing ministry in the local church and in our community. Like when you don't do what God has called you to do, you personally, there is a gaping hole in the ministry of our church. Like the people that you have that you can influence, the gifts that you have, the abilities that you have, the resources that you have, I don't have. I can't do any of your work for you. Neither can the person next to you. It is on you to do the work that God has laid before you. And so we as a church want to be running on all cylinders. You know, we want all of us operating to the fullest extent of our gifts. And so here are eight things that we can do. In fact, let me read this Romans 12 passage first. It says, Romans 12, 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. He's saying, you guys have all been given gifts. So use them. In proportion to your faith. Number one is this. Be a voice. Be a voice. Are you kind of always talking? Are you one of those people that just talks a lot? You just like to talk? I like to talk. I'm talking all the time. Well, use your voice. You've been gifted with a voice. You obviously like to talk. So use it for the kingdom. Be somebody that talks and lifts people up. Be somebody who challenges people around you and shares the best for them. Be somebody who sees the best in people and says, listen, I think there's something better for you. I think God has got great plans for you. I think God wants to redeem this. So speak the best into people. Be a voice. Be a voice for people who can't speak up for themselves. Maybe you're somebody who's going to get into a ministry for people locally who are stuck in sex slavery and for children that are abused. Maybe you're going to be a voice for them. So use the voice God has given you and use it for the kingdom. Number two, be a servant. Be a servant. If you're the kind of person that just loves to serve, you just, I mean, if I spilled my water right now, you would just, you wouldn't even have to think about it. You'd run and get towels and you just start sopping it up. You, I don't know. You just, what you do, you serve, you naturally serve, you see a need, you meet it. If that's you, serve people, serve in the church, serve people who need help and do that for the kingdom. Number three, be a teacher. Be a teacher. Some of you are so gifted to teach. If you like, if you just love to dig into God's word and you want to dig into the Greek and the Hebrew and you just get all geeked out on, you know, different biblical terms. I mean, maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you just love to see the light bulb go off in people's head and they just, they get it. It just makes sense to them. If that's you, maybe you're a teacher and you need to be teaching, mentoring, showing people what it means to follow Jesus. Be a teacher. Number four, be an encourager. I don't know if you know somebody like this, but I know some people that when I'm around them for five minutes, my whole day is better. You know, those people that are just, they just encourage you. They just make you feel better. I don't know what it is. They just, they can always find a way to tell you that there's something better coming, you know, and encourage you. And so if you're that kind of person that's like an encourager, you just know how to see the best in people. You know how to make them feel good. Be an encourager. Do that well. 
Be empowered to do that. I believe God has given you that gift. So encourage, encourage the people around you. Number five, be generous. Be generous. If you're just that kind of person that loves to see a need and meet it. Maybe you see, you hear about somebody that needs like a new dishwasher because their dishwasher broke and you just think, I'm just going to go get them a dishwasher. It's what I do. I love that. I just love to give gifts to people. I love to be generous with people. You know, if that's you, just be generous with the people around you. Give to them and give them what they're needing. Number six, be a leader. Be a leader. If you find people behind you, you're probably a leader. If you go out into the lobby and you just look around and and it seems like there's always a crowd around you, then you're probably a leader. So lead well. Lead in the Spirit. Lead by Christ. Be a leader. We, we believe, I believe there's, there are leaders in this room that don't even know they're leaders. And there are people in this room that probably think they're leaders, but nobody's following. You know what I mean? So be an actual leader. Especially if you look around and, you're, and people are following you. Be a leader. Step up to that call in your life. Number seven, be merciful. If you just feel what other people feel, man, that is a gift. You know, like if I spilled my water and you can't and you just thought, oh, Brian, that's so embarrassing for you. I just feel for you right now. Your water spilled. I'll get him a new water. You know, if that's you, if you just feel the pain that people feel, man, you might have the gift of mercy. Do that well, because that is powerful. I don't do that very well, but some people do that very well. And it is powerful. When somebody can join you in your pain, man, to not feel alone when you're broken, that's powerful. God wants to use that. Number eight, be cheerful. Maybe if you saw my water spill and then I tipped it back up and you're like, hey, well, at least there's still a couple drops in there. You got a little bit for, you know, you got a sip or two left, Brian. It's going to be okay. It's all right. You know, life's good. Be cheerful. Be cheerful. If you're that kind of person, be a cheerful person. Make people laugh. Have joy. There is, man, there's something about laughter that changes the soul that God uses in our lives. I mean, it just softens us, brings us joy. So be a, be a cheerful person. I think there's power in that. But here's, here's the thing. You can't do any of this on, on your own and nor were you meant to. You weren't meant to live this life alone. You weren't meant to just follow Jesus on your own. You were meant to do it in community. And that's what this whole morning is leading up to is, is we believe and we want, our, our mission is that 100% of you would find yourself in an ACF group or in some group. I don't care if it's an ACF group, but in a group. So this is just the, the vehicle that we're using to, to provide an opportunity for you to find yourself in a group. But what normally happens is people, just like going to church, they wait till their lives fall apart. And then they call me up and they're like, Brian, my marriage is falling apart. I I need some help. I I need people. And I'm like, are you in a group? Do you have friends around you? No, I just, I just need help. Can you help me? And so we try to find them help. It wouldn't be better to be in community before that. And to realize that not just for you, it's better for other people. Like, again, this is where you start getting purpose in life. When you realize you don't just go to an ACF group because you need something. You go there because there are people there right now that need you. These gifts that we're talking about, they need to be used. And there are people that will benefit from what you have. You are not useless. You have a vision that's been placed on your life. You have gifts to be used and God wants you to use those things. 
But you have to do it in community. So we've got these groups that we're launching. We are totally redesigning how we're doing our ACF groups. Um, This is where it starts feeling like a commercial, but please stick with me because this is really important. ACF groups are where the rubber meets the road. This is just an hour and a half of your life here. And you can leave these doors and be the same person that you were when you walked in. But we believe that real life happens in community. Real life happens in groups. Real transformation happens when you're rubbing up against each other. Friendships with friendships. Growing together. Learning from each other. Scripture calls it iron sharpening iron. We believe that that's so important. And so we have these groups. We want to make disciples. And so what we're doing is we're doing a semester approach. We're going to do four launches a year. We're going to launch new groups because our church changes so much. Our information always seems like it's wrong on our ACF groups because there's always people moving in. There's people moving out. There's new groups starting. And so it's always a mess. So what we're going to do is we're going to start groups with the goal of running strong for like three to four months. And then at the end of that time, if you launched a group, if you let it and you're like, Brian, I never want to do that again. That's fine. You know, it's okay. Like you didn't like it. Or if you were like, that was amazing. I loved having people in our home. I loved leading that group. I want to do it again. We'll relaunch your group. We'll do it again for another three to four months. This will help with burnout that we're seeing in leaders occasionally. It's going to help get new, new leaders into the mix. We're also doing co-leadership. So each ACF group has a co-leader. So that when your group maybe grows to a certain point, maybe there's going to be another group that launches, you know, or maybe you get to the end of your semester and and you both want to do new ACF groups. And so we're going to launch new groups. And so we need to create a multiplication process in our groups. And that's kind of what we're doing here. And so we want to see every one of you in a group. And I know you're like, Brian, you don't have enough groups for that, but we would start enough groups for that. We would find leaders and we would make it happen. If all of you want to be in groups, man, praise God, because that's going to change the world. Um, I, I believe that that's really there's such a difference between the person that shows up here on Sunday morning and then comes back next week, but does nothing in between compared to the person who comes here on Sunday morning and then has deep, rich friendships and relationships through the work through the week with people that love and follow Jesus. It's just it's crazy. So there's three kinds of groups. The first is a life group and life groups are real simple. You show up to somebody's house. Probably there'll be some coffee brewing. There'll be some chairs set up. You'll probably mill around for a little bit and sit down. You'll pray. You'll probably dig into maybe what I talked about on Sunday. Be nice. Um, Maybe you'll dig into a book that you've been reading or something, or you'll be going through some Bible verses, just something real simple to to spur on conversation. And then you're probably going to split up men and women, and you're going to pray for each other. You know, the men are going to pray for the men and just share some real deep life stuff, and the women are going to pray for the women, and it's going to just be growing time together. And you might find yourself, you know, doing a party on Friday together. You might find yourself serving in the community together. You might just start hanging out together. So that's a life group. There are growth groups, which are deeper study. Like we've got our Financial Peace University, which I am stoked about. We can't seem to launch these quick enough to keep people going in the groups. We just always have a need for for Financial Peace University because there's just so much freedom in marriages and in life coming out of that. Uh, It's just awesome. So FPU is one. We've got some other Bible studies. Like if you just want to, you know, geek out on the book of Luke, then, you know, do that. And you're going to get together with some guys and or with some ladies. And and you're just going to you're still going to pray for each other. You're still going to know each other on a deep level but it's going to be a group. Maybe the truth project. If you guys have done that before, that's more of like a, a growth group. And the last is the social groups. And I believe that this is really um, going to be exciting for our next season is our social groups. So the goal behind this is find what you already love to do. 
Find what you do and just do it in community. You know, if you love to cross country ski, just email us and say, hey, I like to cross country ski once a month. I'm going to meet out at the Beach Lake Trails or whatever it is, and I'm going to cross country ski and I'm going to do it anyway. So if you want to send 20 people that want to come do it with me, that's awesome. Or maybe you just like you want to watch the blacklist. Any blacklist people? Come on, watch some blacklist. If you just love the blacklist, do a blacklist group. You can meet once a month, twice a month, every week if you love the the show and just say, hey, I'm watching it anyway. I want to invite other people to join me in this. You know, it's anything you want to go snow machining. You want to go out you know, up to Hatcher's Pass, do a once a month snow machine trip. You're going to meet here at the church on a Saturday and just invite some other guys. You're already going to do it. So do it with some other people. You guys, this is where this is where ministry gets pretty exciting is because you find what you are gifted with. You find what you love and you do it for the kingdom. And that's awesome. And that creates space. I don't know what you grew up with for evangelism. When you hear the word evangelism, you think about trying to invite the checker at Walmart to church and you're just like, that's super awkward. I don't really want to do that. This is evangelism. This is a this is what I call a middle space where you're hanging out doing things that you love and Christians are rubbing shoulders with non-Christians. You invite your friends. There's no agenda. You don't have to love Jesus to watch a blacklist or to go snow machining. You just show up and you build relationships because people are awesome. And you can love people and enjoy them and enjoy them in the name of Jesus. So, you guys, I hope that you'll get plugged into one of these. Um, This whole morning is built around just helping you become a contributor and not a consumer. And I believe with my heart that being part of one of these groups is going to be the first step in you experiencing that. And it's it's just going to spread out in the rest of your life. So that's the goal today. I just pray that for you guys. Which one are you today, a consumer or a contributor? Jesus doesn't want to be a brand that you wear. He doesn't want to be a label. He came so that he might be your Lord and your Savior. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. And uh, Father, I just want to confess that I have so many tendencies towards consumerism. God, and I can just tend to think the world's here for me. Father, and I just lay that out before you and ask you to continue to change my heart. God, that you would change the hearts of of the people in our church, Father, that you would light a fire in us for our city. God, that you would break our hearts for the needs that are around us and cause us not to just be broken, but to stand up and to move. Father, that our actions would reflect your vision for your church. God, thanks for your grace today. I pray over those in this room today that are far from you, that aren't convinced that you're the real deal yet. God, that you you would lay just a deep conviction on their hearts that you came for them too. Father, that you died and you bled for our sins. And no matter how hard we tried to get ourselves together, God, we could never do it. But Jesus, you come and you give us grace. And Father, we all need to be reminded of that grace today, God. And could, could we just launch from this place into our lives, into our workplaces, God, into our homes, into this city in the name of Jesus reflecting his grace to the world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.